A long time ago, on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. I am your humble host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, the... Oh, I have this one. The star son to my Drexel. It is John Campbell. Hello, everyone. And yahar, mateys, because we're reading a pirate comic now, right? It be pirates top to bottom here in the most wars of stars. Oh, yeah, I, I never knew. I never thought of Star Wars as a pirate franchise, but these books tell me rain. <laughs> it's true. Anyway. Yes, welcome. Uh, we are here yet again talking about our favorite pirate comic, Star Wars, from Marvel <laughs> Comics. In the Watchmen universe, we're comics <laughs> about pirates. Oh, uh, man, there's some Black Freighter energy going on in this comic. No question about it, yeah. Uh, I mean, boy, Gurgione, I just, sometimes when I sit down with it, the, the thing I love about doing this show <laughs> is, is, is as familiar as Star Wars is. Mm-hmm. I love that when I open up one of these issues, I have no idea what the hell to expect. I mean, at all. And it's that's true. so, it's so rare in a world where Star Wars is such a recognizable IP and you can kind of describe things as, oh, this feels kind of Star Wars-y. I love reading a book that's called Star Wars that oftentimes feels like the complete antithesis of the franchise. <laughs> but John, this has so much to do with the franchise you love. Kevin Costner's Waterworld. <laughs> I couldn't not think of that. Yes, all of a <laughs> I wonder if a young Kevin Costner said, hmm, "Now there's an idea." Yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of waterborne disasters, we are talking about Star Wars from 1977, issue number 12 from Marvel Comics Group, published June 1st, 1978, written by Archie Goodwin, with pencils by Carmine Infantino, inks by Terry Kevin Austin, colors by Janice Cohen, and letters by John Costanza. Uh, We are back in the mix of it as we find ourselves on the unnamed planet around the star sun drexel yeah this is all uh goofy <laughs> it's the, the lone planet as they'll sure. say sure yeah uh the lone planet of the sun drexel uh which based on the art we've seen in previous issues of all the intercuts of luke finding this place yeah don't think that's true but no. we move on no uh and it is either a doom world or a water world why not both, depending on who you ask? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's get into it. Let's start with the cover, as we are wont to do. Because, oh, man. Yeah, this okay. announces the arrival on Doom World in big, brassy font. Luke and the droids trapped on a dash dash Doom World. Okay. Let's just get this. I'm going to tear this band-aid right now. They yeah. never call it Doom World. Not once, no. except and for in the captioning. Here's yeah. Here's the thing that gets me about a Doom World. Okay, that 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 implies one of two things. Number one, that the planet is called Doom World, or two, that the term Doom World is a thing any of us would understand. Like, oh man, you know, I went to that place yesterday. Real Doom World, if you know what I'm saying. To be fair, I'm way into the latter of those two options because I oh, love I that there would be a classification of planet that goes like, no, 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 those that that's a Doom World. You, we don't go to that one. Like on Star Trek, when they talk about don't go there, that's a demon planet. You're like, tell me more about this demon <laughs> planet, you say. Uh, but yeah, it is so, yeah, I know that's the thing. It's like you, but the, but this chooses to do neither. It's only in the like promotional and text of it that is called a Doom World. No, you never have Luke Skywalker go, dear God, three PO, we've landed on a Doom World, mm-hmm. or three PO in turn saying, no, Master Luke, we can't go there. It's a Doom World. And if there's anyone in the universe of Star Wars who would call something a Doom World, it is C-3PO. 100%. Yeah. I mean, R2 might say it, but you wouldn't understand it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Who is here? I mean, right up, look at this cover. We've got a recoiling 3PO going, no, please, no. (laughs) We also have a shrugging R2. I didn't know his leg joints could do that. (laughs) They're kind of like up on the side, like, what are you going to do? The 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 co- we've seen this before. This comic is so weird with his legs. 
across the board. And even the 3PO pose is really not a 3PO pose. They don't yet have a... I mean, they only have the movie to go off of, of course. So they don't really understand how these things move yet. But, like, 3PO is always striking poses that... I know it's a comic book and you can do other stuff, but because we have context for it, and I think more modern comics have stuck to this, like, Anthony Daniels' costume can't strike this pose. <laughs> well, talk about things they only have the movie reference for. So, we're going to, like, rotate back to some complaints that we had about the early, earliest issues of this book. Yes. That we could kind of have written off based on what materials they might have been working with. So, in the first six issues, which were a retelling of A New Hope, we yeah. had... Uh, lightsabers that were all pink all the time. And we were like, okay, maybe they didn't have color photos. They didn't know what the actual like end effects were going to look like. And mm -hmm. even by the time the last couple of issues of this retelling are coming out, they've already had the lead time that like, they probably hadn't seen the movie by the time these were being drawn and colored. Okay. Right. We'll forgive you for certain things here and there. Yeah. This issue, which as we've said, came out uh, close to a year after the movie had premiered. Almost, yeah, almost exactly a year, because I think it was June of 77 it came out. And so what Star Wars lightsabers look like are, like, well established. We've already lived through the Christmas where nobody had toys. We already yep. uh, are seeing those toys now hit the market, finally. Kids are playing with their telescoping lightsabers. Uh, kids are playing with those weird versions of the action figures that had the lightsabers come out of the arms. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. So we know blue equals good guy, red equals bad guy. That's the lightsaber logic. Yeah, and then that and that remains the lightsaber logic until Return of the Jedi throws things into uh whack. But this is uh yeah. Here and also, I mean, so Luke, you're this is all leading to say Luke is holding a red lightsaber on this cover. Is and, yeah. And it's too short. And it's too, well, okay, we can talk about adjusting lightsaber length. That's a whole thing that we might get into. But what I will say is in the bulk of the issue, he mm -hmm. doesn't have a red lightsaber. He just goes back to the pink lightsaber that we've seen. Yeah. So I'm really wondering if there is a coloring limitation on these things because, I mean, even that doesn't make any sense. We're in a water world. We see lots of blue. I mean, look right, out, right off the bat. Look at that blue backing on the Star Wars logo. If they had made that color the lightsaber color, I'm cool with that. So is this just a matter of Archie red Goodwin blue. having read the first six issues going, no, no, we've established it as canon now. We can't go back on that. God forbid. <laughs> Something we'll continue to track is when and if they do change. Because by the time you get to Empire, they've got to be doing movie accurate coloring, right? I hope. Oof, I hope. I've read ahead a little bit. I don't want to spoil anything. I'm taking it now. <laughs> uh, but yes, anyway. uh, at the bottom of this cover, we do get a pirate slash army oh. gang. Uh, oh. oh, the rapscallions that are the villains of Doom World. That That's a good way to put it. They are a gang of rapscallions. Yeah, you got, you got a guy with a French beret. Uh, a guy with an army helmet and a guy with uh, uh, it looks like one of those laser tag helmets from the 80s. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're shouting at Luke and the droid saying, we want those robots, boy. And that lightsaber can't stop all of us. Which is they say that in the issue, too. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it can. It's a cutting, swiping. In point of fact, it does, though, yep. in a clever way that I uh, applauded the comic for being like, OK, Luke is smart. All right. Also, we're back to uh, I, I'm as, as the blaster guy on the show. I got to talk about blaster design here because these are all uh, left over from a GI Joe comic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, GI Joe like famously didn't all the lasers shoot like red or pink uh, bolts. Yeah. Well, bad guys shot red lasers. Good guys shot blue lasers. Well, okay then. There we go. It, it followed very Star Wars logic, and also was. A Marvel comic, a lot of G.I. Joe stems from Marvel as well. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it makes sense that that's how they, that's sort of in-house, how they're just drawing laser guns. But what I'm, all to make the point that they're not really thinking about whether or not this is Star Wars design. They're just going, this is how we draw laser guns. Somewhere Larry Hama went, huh? Somebody talking mm -hmm. about me? <laughs> oh, the great Larry Hama. Folks, I believe he's still technically writing G.I. Joe. So uh, I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, he's still on like issue 400 and whatever of G.I. Joe. For those who don't know, uh, basically the guy who single-handedly made a toy franchise have a story. Yeah, man. I always, I'm so jealous of those guys back in the day who got to do uh, G.I. Joe and Transformers where they were just given a bunch of toys and were told, figure out what their deal is. Mm-hmm. I would love that <laughs> job to get random toys and go like, this is this guy, this is this person, you know? The reason like Megatron's a bad guy is just because they decided that toy would be the bad guy. That kind of I mean, stuff. Th- to be fair, the one who turns into a gun, yeah, turns into a gun, yeah, no, it, it, I mean, it, <laughs> I'm not saying it was the most like uh, out out <laughs> field decision, but uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, do we ever see him work on this? Larry Hama does. He will write a single issue of this when we get to issue 48. Awesome. Can't wait. Uh, but unfortunately, we are still at issue 12. Let's get to the first page here where we are back in Doom World. And I'll tell you something that really screams Doom to me. A real cartoon looking sea serpent, man. I am terrified. Oh, John, if you are terrified of cartoon looking sea serpents, strap in for the next couple of issues because we're going to get a bunch of them. Oh, I can't wait. Also, uh, we were me- we mentioned the credits, but I-, I see one name creeping in here that we haven't that we have yet to talk about. Yeah, that's consulting editor Jim Shooter. Because something that's happening over this whole time in the background in the history of Marvel is the slow takeover of Jim Shooter is happening over yeah. these issues. So, so uh, I did a little reading on the history of this. So mm. we have. Uh, in 1970, because I, I really wanted to pin down like when the Bronze Age of comics like started and ended, at least according to yeah. comic book scar- scholars, which those exist. Don't don't at me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, believe me, that's a that that's like a dream job of mine. Um, sure, uh, but it's generally agreed upon that the Bronze Age, quote unquote, kind of started uh, in 1970 when Stan Lee stepped down from the like uh, editorial chair at Marvel and basically stopped writing things there. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's that's a pretty good breaking point for that. And then it uh, becomes more of the modern age in 1984 is kind of the yep. agreed upon time. The, and got Miller and Moore and stuff taken mm-hmm. over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's right around this time where we're at 1979 that uh, things are starting to like really change in terms of the distribution of comics and how they are sold and marketed. Um, yes. It becomes a much more commercial enterprise in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, with well, the advent get... of things like uh, Claremont's X-Men and stuff. Well, and you've also got the switch to the direct market at this point yeah. and stuff, too. Is so <laughs> This is what people tuned in for. Uh, look, if you're, li- if you're watching or listening to a show about Star Wars comics, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of history in here. I-, I think it's interesting that this comic in particular bridges the gap between yeah. Bronze Age to Modern Age comics in such an interesting way. And it is a weird little estuary of time in Marvel history, like you said, before the Jim Shooter takeover that will become this infamous, infamous milestone in Marvel's history. Absolutely. Uh, no, I, I, I'm trying to get the name of this book that I highly recommend. Uh, it's about the about DC and Marvel and sort of their rivalry. But through that, you see Slugfest. Mm, called mm-hmm, Slugfest. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend it. Uh, it'll give you a lot of insight into... It's about the rivalry, but it's really about the history of comics and how that rivalry sort of pushed the industry forward. So I really... And they do they talk a lot about the Star Wars comic in there because that is a key thing that that really pushed Marvel ahead a lot was having this... Once again, as we talked about, sort of like, sure, I guess Marvel takes it and ends up with uh, with this on their hands. And this is what they come up with. A Doom World! Boy, if you thought the cover <laughs> promised you a Doom World, holy crap, does this first page really make, like, a good chunk of this page. Doom World! Well, look, they, it got its own Kirby crackled font and everything, so you know it's important. Really and will come up later that. in the issue, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can actually, like, the page is too hot from the crackling, so... Um, um, I, we'll, we'll stop harping on it a little bit, but I do want to point out the change in logo at the top here, where we have the classic Star Wars font. Um, going back and rereading some earlier issues, I noticed that the, the S and the T and the R and the S in the logo were broken up, so they hadn't quite, like, landed on that as, like, the visual typeface of Star Wars right. at that point. Yeah, that is, that is that is pure Star Wars, though, when you see that here. Yeah. 
Uh, so much so that it's a font you can download to your computer because we use it for our show. <laughs> uh, but we on this first page, we get a little bit of recap about what's going on here. Luke has crash-landed on this world, an unnamed world, around the star sun Drexel. Uh, what a star sun is and how that differentiates from a star or a sun, don't ask me. It's both. Oh, <laughs> it's both and neither. Somehow. That is a question for Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yes. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's not. Dead. Sorry, <laughs> I was told we could cut away to him. No, um, no, 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 way outside yeah, no. the budget. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Luke is once again thrill as our heroes look at a sea battle. Yeah, because he's crashed on this planet. They ejected it in an escape pod from the ship they crash landed on, and now some sea serpents are uh, messing with the ship that he abandoned. Uh, on this next page, we get him basically narrating what's happening here, which is. There is a rider on a second sea serpent that has shown up and is using some sort of uh, magic wand to control the first sea serpent into stop attacking the ship that has crashed and instead push it away to some unknown destination. I'm shocked there weren't toys of this because this this is th- I mentioned the GI Joe thing and uh, and and actually the look of this I did have because uh, this is the first show we're doing since the show started coming out. Mm. So talking to somebody, uh, uh, trouble. yeah, talking to fellow podcaster, Brendan Jones, he had a note about Luke Skywalker. We kept talking about Prince Valiant, but he sees this as a real proto he man look for Luke Skywalker. Ooh, I mean, there's a clear like evolutionary line between those yeah. three things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But I'm talking about with the guy riding the serpent with the he man thing. I see a lot of what will come to form 80s animation in this issue. A lot of that filmation look that we'll see across He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers. Because this feels like they're going to sell me this toy of the sea serpent and its rider. Well, and by that same likeness, you can say that maybe this is actually just a an evolution of something you'd see in, like, Thundar, right? Right, yes, exactly. That's sort of the thing where we're starting to see that that uh, that blending of animation and comic books and the way they'll ebb and flow with each other and toys that will explode in the 80s. Yeah, if you want to see another, like, really interesting uh, bit of, I guess, like, fiction narrative history, look up the evolution and the details about Thundar the Barbarian, a an animated show from, wasn't it Hanna-Barbera uh, at the time? Yeah. Um, but... How it's like weird blend of fantasy and science fiction kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of stuff that would happen later, including He-Man and Thundercats and a bunch of other stuff. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. But we talked last episode briefly about how this also reminds me of the one salvageable thing from the Star Wars holiday special. And that is Boba Fett appearing riding a sea monster in the animated bit of that special. Absolutely. And then it, it does have that vibe. Uh, and so uh, I'll tell you the exact point this thing loses me, but right now I'm still somewhat interested in, in what's going on. I mean, I'm still fascinated by the whole thing. We've got R2 almost drowning in the water. Three POs were worried about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've got the, the, the Luke Skywalker. What is this like? They're not binoculars, but because it's weird because he does have binoculars in A New Hope, but here well, he's got kind of like. Periscope I don't know. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like sight gun. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, they they have these like spy craft type toys that was yes. like a listening device and a like pair of binoculars that you could slightly zoom yeah. in with. It was very yeah. like leftover Cold War era, let's make kids into spies vibe. Yeah, and even, <laughs> here's the thing, even as a kid and an adult who loved spy craft, I thought they were kind of lame. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But it was always like the idea of spies was cooler. But yes, absolutely. It does have that. I see what you, yeah. Yeah. That and vibe. I don't it's know just, where he got these because, yes, even in the comic book, he had his macro binoculars earlier. Yeah. So sure. I sort of think it was an iconic Star Wars design. Is those big bulky things that you hold up and like you cut to the interior vision of it and it's like one big screen and they've got little uh, like fi- range finders and stuff displayed on them. They kind of try to do here where these ships are driving at them. Once again, available from Hasbro. Uh, <laughs> these uh, and 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 this is something I I really thought of. This is something you brought up on the last episode that I really thought as I was reading this, which is the complete lack of amazement Luke Skywalker has for number one, the exact opposite of the world he grew up on. There is a uh, there is a note about it, like you came from a desert planet. This is a water planet, and then the book kind of just goes. Eh. 
Um, but the exact, just the amazement of even just a guy leaving his home planet for the first time, forget to what he's just like, immediately he's like, look at that hydrocraft, hydrocraft. Why the hell do you know what the hell that is, man? First off, we're in a Marvel comic and someone said Hydra and made me go, huh? Wait, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> hydrocraft. Oh no. My, my antenna is always out for that. What'd you say? What about Hydra? I can't, I don't trust it. Get away. Uh, <laughs> Luke Skywalker versus the Red Skull. Okay. I'm down. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so the hydra yeah. Uh and they're skimming over the water just like I used to whip around Tatooine in my old land speeder. Remember that, folks? Remember that movie you like? Remember that land speeder he sold for not as much as it was worth? Mm-hmm. Uh one of the mo- I love the land speeder, such an iconic thing for how short it's in that movie. But- I mean it's on the logo of our podcast. I really sure. is because it's 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 iconic. And I mean, I loved my land speeder toy. Luke went on way more adventures in my action figure playing days in that thing than he ever did in any movie. Um, but yeah, we've got Kraft coming across the waters towards Luke and the sea monsters that are kind of scuttling his craft. And on the next page, we have a brief fracas that erupts between the two parties. I will say, and once again, Infantino. Uh, having him is just, there's such polish to it. This water looks amazing. Oh, yeah. This middle panel here where we have Luke uh, saying, whatever they are, 3PO, they're armed and opening fire on the sea monsters with us caught in the middle. Like, that is such yeah. a dramatic comic book. Like, we've got the the rockets or whatever it is they're firing, coursing over Luke, hitting the water with these big splashes. We've got the water rolling up over his escape pod. It's very dramatic. I dig it. No, it's great. It is, it is, uh, you know, we talked about Chaken and that was early days Chaken. Here we're getting the opposite as we've talked about, which is a guy deep into his career who's a comic book legend. And you can really just see the flight time and the polish this guy's had about doing superhero comics forever. Just look at the way he conveys the action of this. Uh, yeah. And obviously you know, Terry Austin on the inks here doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the, the shadowing oh, and the detail on the, uh, no, the, the water, the waves. water is gorgeously realized yeah um and then we get some a lot of monster battling here which you know i'm not against in in theory but there's a lot for star wars yes let them fight (laughs) i was gonna ask how you a diehard kaiju fan felt about it i needed more monster battles john yeah yeah yeah. give me well uh, you know what I agree, because I know where this is going, so give me a lot more of this. This is still when the book was exciting. Uh, we have yet <laughs> pirate ships. Uh, uh, yeah, so we get uh, a brief interaction. We get some uh, narration about how uh, the the rider of the second sea serpent has now taken control of the first sea serpent, and then they're both going to escape. We get a, the first close-up of our uh, dragon lords, as will eventually become known, and... Is it just me, or do they remind you of the uh, lizard men from Johnny Quest? Oh, they really do. They really do. <laughs> With the finned feet and, like, the headpiece. I mean, it's all going back to that Hanna-Barbera design. All the sea serpents, everything involving that really feels cartoony. Which is not mm-hmm. necessarily a negative, but it is a weird thing when you're coming out of a, uh, a, a something that's supposedly based on a live-action property. Yeah, like, I couldn't really visualize these creatures and some of the characters we interact with next to Mark Hamill or Harrison Ford. No, that's the crazy thing about all of this. Uh, and I feel like this started with Crimson Jack too, where you go like, these are comic book characters next to who are stand-ins for very real people. Yeah. And so you're going like, I can't imagine Harrison Ford talking to Crimson Jack. I just, <laughs> I can't. who is that guy? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so we go to the next page. So much more uh, sea monster battling, and it's once again this is all really rendered really well. I mean, Infantino coming out of that Silver Age DC, this is very much has this vibe. This is this could be, uh, it was almost something we were talking about beforehand. Um, one of the problems here is this doesn't feel very Star Wars. If this was Green Lantern fighting this thing, it would rule. Yeah, and. I mean, you want to talk about the sea serpent's faces changing radically in this page, though? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's but all over the place. I, but what I, it's all good action. It's all good action. And it all, like, uh, tracks 
I guess, in a way that, like, some of the action in previous issues really never did. I mean, we would have sequences where characters would die and we wouldn't know about it until the next issue when we were told no. that's what happened. I, 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 I'm still ragging on it from a Star Wars perspective, but... As a piece of comic book art, it's so, and storytelling, it's so much better. Also, all the captions are like to the point. They're mm-hmm. not Thomas uh, pontificating. Oh, uh, you know, that first panel would have been half covered in captions if Roy Thomas was still writing this. Yeah, I do feel like uh, Goodwin, you know, is a little bit better and a little bit more, I mean, still overwritten by today's standards, but for the time, pretty sparse. Right. And I mean, and what. Like- of action on the page carry it and of course what this page really reminds me of and is clearly an inspiration for is jim's cameron's uh avatar the way of water (laughs) what is what hasn't inspired james cameron (laughs) well according to him nothing (laughs) that's right never seen or read a thing in his life um that's why he lost that suit to uh to gibson who did he lose that suit to back in the asimov Oh, Our, no. uh, it was uh, Ellison, I think. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That About makes sense. Just 100% being stolen. <laughs> yeah. Could have just said you were inspired by it and got away with it. But yeah. Anyway. Uh, so we got the Dragon Lords showing up here, sinking a couple of these Hydrocraft. And then on the next page, we get the Hydrocraft. I can't stop saying Hydrocraft. Uh, driving them off with their blasters. This is very G.I. Joe to me, this blaster. Yeah. Well, we saw a little bit of this in uh, other Star Wars, or in Star Wars at this point. You've got the two blasters kind of shooting top to bottom. It is. I mean, I think it's something about the coloring of the yellow and stuff about it, the comic booky vibe of it. But and and especially because I think a lot of these people involved in this will go on to work on GI Joe. Uh, It has that vibe to it, and I spent a childhood obsessed with GI Joe. So. but the hydro, I, I I like the design of the hydrocraft. I'm actually kind of bummed there isn't uh, a, a toy of this thing. <laughs> um, and then we've got uh, them discovering Luke Skywalker in his escape pod at the bottom here. Though I will say the art maybe gets a little muddy down here because I thought it was Luke's head that was in this bottom left panel, and it's just <laughs> another blonde guy with a chiseled face. Okay, here's here's I, I've been very complimented in Fantino. I will say. The guy's got some same face qualities. Yeah, I mean that's a comic book problem across the board. It 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 generally is, and that's sort of the thing you get. You we're trading uh, uh, sort of the uniqueness of Chaykin for very standard comic book stuff with Infantino, but it's really polished quality. So yeah. there's a trade off there, though. Like Chaykin's mm-hmm. more interesting if less consistent. Now it's more consistent but less interesting. Yeah, and, and that can lead to, okay. yeah. if, if they're yeah. not dressed like a pirate, I might think they're Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and sometimes, even then, I'm like, is Luke dressed as a pirate? <laughs> uh, they, 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 they pull in, uh, and this starts this whole thing, which is a pl- the planet is obsessed with metal. Yeah, so we see them hauling Luke in with these, like, magnetic grapplers, and they're like, oh, it's a metal thing. Uh, and... They're pulling up the Luke and the droids. They spill them out onto their hydrocraft. Hydrocraft. Uh, and Too they... bad, man. Your head. <laughs> I can't. Um, but yeah, they are obsessed with metal. This gang of rapscallions that are dressed like the rejects of the Howling Commandos. Very much so. The other thing this really reminds me of, and of course it it it, it predates it, so it's obviously not inspired by it. But everyone here feels very Mad Maxy uh, throughout this whole planet. Mm-hmm. very, I mean, or Waterworld, as you mentioned, because Waterworld uh, is Mad Max on the water. Mm-hmm. No, and we'll get into what precisely is going on here once we get to the like proper set piece where it starts explaining everything. But mm-hmm. uh, I kind of dig the vibe of what's going on here. I don't think it's like. Uh, done in a way that makes it interesting, but there is some interesting ideas here yes. in terms of oh. like this cargo cult that has developed and these people that Luke is interacting with here. Agreed. I have yet to get to we have yet to get to the stuff I really think is dumb in here. This is all <laughs> at this point in the comic. When we get to the actual pirate ship, as you'll know, folks. Yeah. And that's what I'm like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> but here, yeah, they pull Luke up on... The, and this is where we get our uh, 
Uh, I, I do like that they assume 3PO is a guy wearing a metal suit. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder why they think that. Um, maybe because it is. Uh, no. Uh, but well, yeah. It's, it, it's they don't know. I, I mean, maybe. They know robots, though. And apparently yeah. they don't see the differentiation in the way. Because Luke insists on calling them droids. Th- all of yeah. these uh, wreckers is what we'll eventually know they're called. Uh mm-hmm are calling them robots. And so like, they maybe don't see the difference or maybe they like only think of them as robots. It's unclear. I love the one guy going, look at that. He's traveling with a genuine robot. (laughs) Because they've clearly not seen any in quite some time. And we'll get into why, as we discover what these people's deal is. Mm hmm. Uh, (laughs) Uh, have you forgotten all your off-world lore, they say. So robots are off-world lore. Mm-hmm. Well, if they don't we have any here. About robots, yeah. Um, but so they want the machines, and then Luke is busting out that iconic pink lightsaber. <laughs> now this, though, they're like, haven't you forgot about robots? But he lights this thing up, and everybody's like, oh, l- l- lightsaber. That bare-faced little pup is a Jedi. Bareface little pup is such a great old timey line. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get into this. Now we're getting a little Roy Thomas on this next page, right? Where they go Jedi. Well, I do yeah. want to point out uh, the mm. the sound effect that is uh, when the lightsaber, the ramp. I thought it was a good lightsaber sound. I actually, I do think that's one of the better sounds we've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think they're a little nuts with the onomatopoeia in this comic, but that's <laughs> not. Bad. So this that's next not- page, this whole internal monologue though about Jedi. Even in this moment of danger, Luke thrills to the word and wishes it was true. You know, and it, it goes to this whole thing about, like, like his father, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. He wishes he was a Jedi. I'm just like, okay, cool. I mean, once again, it's, it's, I did, I, I mean, it, it is sort of the thing about comics of this time, but it's just going like, you guys, you remember Star Wars? Yeah, who the Jedi were and what their deal was? Remember that time Obi-Wan fought Darth Vader? I, I just keep after reminding myself that like the only Star Wars they have is the first it's Star Wars. Book. So yeah. like what the importance of Jedi really yeah. hasn't been, I think, driven home. Like no. th- th- there isn't that moment where Darth Vader says, you are not a Jedi yet, boy, that like really drives home the like level one must achieve to be considered a Jedi. Right. It seems like uh, being somewhat in touch with the Force and having a lightsaber kind of make you a Jedi at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's sort of that thing where it's like... Uh, and also the idea that it's like, what do we know about the Jedi? It's like, they were pretty cool, man. That's about it in terms of us knowing anything about uh, the, the mythos of them. It's just like, they were, they, were, they were the good guys is about as much as we know, right? Well, according to this comic, what we know is that they dressed in armor, sometimes had lances, and yeah, uh, yes. went on daring crusades. <laughs> they were, they were at this point. They're going like knights. Also, when we switch to this, where he's swinging the lightsaber with a swoop, I love that uh, swoop. That's a good swoop. Uh, did Luke's hair get a lot longer? Did Luke's hair get a lot longer? And was the guy he's swooping at carrying a tire iron? <laughs> That's right, pal. I'm gonna bash your knees in here. Man, yeah, I'm the That's the object that looks like he was holding. It really does look like he's holding up, but yeah. Meanwhile, the guy right behind him is looking like an axe made out of scrap metal that's been bound together with leather. Man, they're just grabbing whatever they can get. <laughs> and this guy in the bottom left panel with the with the beret, I don't even know what he's holding. Oh, who, yeah, who knows? that He's just got some sticks bundled together. <laughs> That's what uh, it looks like. And yeah, he can't swing it every way at once, pal. It's like, I I know, but like, Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I and, do and like then, the guy's line. Jump! If that laser blade even touches you, you're sliced like sea cabbage. Like sea cabbage. I mean, he's carrying the tire. And this is a guy who used to roll with Tony Soprano, let's be honest. Uh, oh, yeah. Yo, no, absolutely. Whoa. He'll turn you into gobbledygool. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, then we get R2 spilling lubricant onto the deck. Yeah, it's some classic R2 shenanigans. Uh, he it, spills lubricant onto the deck so that in the next page we get someone going, oh, whoop, and falling over. And that's the kind of thing where I'm going like, and stakes are undercut. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, we're a ways off from R2 spilling some oil and then igniting it to burn some other droids to death. Dude, I love that moment. Uh, <laughs> I, well, I've never seen that in the theater and going, oh, R2's a badass. Uh, R2 uh, and one of the other like droid characters from Rebels actually have some of the largest body counts in Star Wars. Oh, no question. No question. <laughs> uh how about Luke, though, just destroying this man's back in that middle panel with a warrack? I do like Luke getting a little bit of action here. Him, like, doing a little bit of acrobatics, some fisticuffs and some lightsabers swinging. Honestly, uh, I can't just like Luke doing anything at this point in the comic. He's just been mm-hmm. so absent from the book. Um, so, yeah, to see him doing kind of, once again, it's interesting that this is, it's taken this long to get to kind of what the movie promises, which is, like, swashbuckling action hero Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, and even then, Luke's move here isn't just to like try to take everybody out. He gets to the the craft's control helm, and he's like, "All right, everyone, back off, or the controls to this thing gets it." Yeah, I mean, he he's he's maybe uh maybe a little too competent here. I don't know with the action of this and stuff for where Luke is in his story at this point. But holy crap, he is just on board as action hero at this point. Mm-hmm. Oh, lad. Uh, says uh, uh, Alan Hale Jr. from uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Little John showed up for a brief cameo here in this. Um, easy now, easy. Uh, That'll leave us stranded at the mercy of any dragon lord who happened along. I know everybody feels like they should have this kind of accent in the book, right? <laughs> easy, lad. That's right, boyo. You know, anything like that. It has like that sort of thing. Or This is Martin McDonough's Star Wars, folks. Uh, <laughs> I'd, watch uh, I'd watch that all day. Oh, please, Disney. All right, <laughs> let's turn the page and get to where trouble starts because we're now at Disney World in their Pirates attraction. Okay. On its own, this splash page we get of the Wrecker camp slash city slash whatever it is of yeah. this literal town that is built in the shape of a sailing ship rigging yeah by its own face is rad as hell yeah i loved it when it was called pirates of dark water (laughs) (laughs) that show comes out way after this right Way out. That was nice. Yeah. That was on one when we were kids. Yeah. Uh, I loved Pirates of Dark Water as a kid, though, man. That show was awesome. I will uh, say. I, I'm sure it doesn't hold up at all if I were to watch it, but. Uh, it, 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 it's got some good ideas. It also doesn't have an ending, which kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the, like, the world and design of it was so cool. Yeah. Uh, so this planet is the only planet of the Star Sun Drexel system, yes? Yes, that's what they say. What the fuck is that thing in the sky above the pirate ship? Yeah, well, there's, there appears to be a... <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. There's <laughs> <laughs> some rock hanging in the atmosphere. I don't know. Yeah, it's like... I, yeah. Ugh. Be okay. cons- Once again, be consistent within your own mythos. That's all I ask. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe those don't qualify as planets. Maybe they're just moons. It's like how Pluto stopped being a planet. I get, yeah, maybe the other dwarf planet. That little mm-hmm. one could be. Uh, yeah. uh, that, that's actually closer. It's just that small. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, on its surface, this is really cool. This like dilapidated, kind of like uh, built up pirate ship that has become a city yeah. that they're flying into. Cool. It's just the explanation of this is so radically dumb that it really detracts from how cool the aesthetic is. And also it's getting to something that Star Wars doesn't do, which is like there shouldn't be pirate ships as we know them in Star Wars. You know, like that's the thing where it's like, why does it look like old sailing ships that the British naval fleet would have had in their design? You know what I mean? And when we get the eventual explanation of why these people are here, it actually like why these ships look like this make even less sense. Because, okay, I could understand maybe like a pre-space flight culture building ships the way ships look because ships are designed because they function well. Right. But, but these it, people aren't that. <laughs> no, no, they've 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 wrecked here, right? As we get, let's go to the next page here and meet the governor. Uh, uh, I like governor, governor Quag, governor Quag. That's not wrong. I'm actually talking like this, like I'm governor Quag. <laughs> Boy, 
See, uh, I am I'm imagining, and we're gonna get into this now. Like we're starting to get these apocalypse now vibes from this because we've <laughs> seen a bunch of guys in this crew dressed with like soldier fatigues and helmets. And now yes. we're getting this guy with like military medals and a King Cape and a, another no. military yeah. helmet on top of him. And we're getting a very much this sense that like, are these people like stranded here or what's happening? But when we yeah, meet the governor, it, it becomes very, very clear that they're all this kind of like retro evolution of some kind of like shipboard society. Yes, and he's got a lot of Colonel Kurtz vibes. Yes, hundred uh, percent. And it is like this is the end, my only friend. The end. <laughs> yeah. So when you say what I imagine this guy sounds like, I'm imagining like Marlon Brando. Yeah. The horror. The horror. Guys, uh, seize everyone aboard. I want them hang as traitors. <laughs> Ooh, you're hit, you're, I love that it started as Brando and, and edged into Tony Curtis by the end of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I'm I'm also more thinking like Elder Days, end of like Doctor Moreau, uh, Brando as well. And there's the, there's a wheeze to every line, uh huh. Because that's yeah. like unfortunately the Brando that sticks in my head is like that last performance of his that is just so insanely checked out. Yeah. When he's literally wearing an earpiece and picking up police bands. Yeah. And refuses to wear pants. For, why won't I wear pants? <laughs> the guy who kisses Larry King and stuff like that. Um, yeah. That, that, look up that clip, folks. Marlon Brando kissing Larry King is an amazing clip. Um, uh, all right. So they bring Luke in here. Uh, and yes, he is uh, He is a full-on man. He also kind of looks... The design of him... Looks like the villainous uh, guy in the uh, um, in Oliver that's giving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of the look I get from him here. Uh, I will say, in terms of Infantino, same face. He's got his own vibe, though, Governor Korg for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, he's leaning into some like body image, like oh, he's a disgusting fat guy tropes that like I could give or take. But, like, I see what he's going for here. Yeah, I mean, he's meant to... I mean, you know, I think... Uh, I think if if I were to be generous with the credit, I would say there's something about him being quite large and his men not being, meaning he's eating well and they're not. Right. I don't know that they thought about it that much, no. but that would be sort of a thing where it's like, he's got that kingly build, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, kingly yeah. build, kingly waist size is what we're looking at here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so go to the next, yeah. Well, because we got to establish here that like something that, uh, this crew and this people are like incredibly keyed in on is the fact that two of the skimmers were destroyed. Two of the hydrocraft, hydrocraft, um, were destroyed in their battle with the dragon lords. And that is like an unforgivable sin to these people because they have wasted metal. Yes. Metal. I mean, that idea is interesting. A planet where metal is precious any form of metal is so rare to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but there's no, they're not doing science fiction really where they're like trying to then spiral that out to like, what is the society? I mean, I like the idea of everything being made of wood or something like that. Although it's an ocean planet. So I also want to know where they're getting all this wood. We'll get into that. Uh, but like, we'll see in other Star Wars stuff, cultures that use interesting, like other materials other than metal. When we get, when we start looking into like stuff happening on Kashyyyk, we'll get into some really cool biotechnology stuff. Absolutely. And that's some of the coolest stuff in Star Wars. But what we're doing now is just, like I said, my problem is when you're just transplanting things from our world into Star Wars, like an old pirate ship, it's like, oh, it's or not really what I heart of darkness. That could be cool. Like, I would actually love to see, like, a proper Star Wars version of Heart of Darkness. Um, uh, yeah, it's called the Umbra arc on uh, Star on the Clone Wars. Yeah, no, yes. that uh, And that would be the place to do it, because it does sort of feel like it needs to be in a in a real war setting like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, opposed to the general Star Wars that are always occurring. Yeah. Uh, but yes, on the next page, we do get Luke uh, kind of, like basically bargaining for their lives. Uh, meanwhile, the Wrecker crews are just like, uh, hey, we brought robots back. That means we shouldn't die, right? Uh, I like to imagine these guys call them robots. Robots! But governor, we've got some robots. Yeah, exactly. 
I'll never forget. I saw an archive interview of Isaac Asimov saying robot, and I'm like, that broke my heart a little bit. I robot. I robot. I'm just going like, man, the guy who forms so much of all the robot stuff I love, and he says robot. It's mm. it's the it's the three laws of robotics. Yeah, robot. Yeah, you're just like oh, you're, you're the robot guy. If anybody should say it right. Oh, uh, yeah. So Luke's busting out this lightsaber left and right here, going, "Hey, I got a lightsaber, buddy." The governor's not like super impressed by that, though he does talk about like, oh, Jedi. I know about Jedi. My father told me about Jedi. They were a big deal back in the Old Republic. Also, we're spelling lightsaber right correct now. Yeah, all of a sudden we've corrected that. Uh, (laughs) Here's the thing I've always thought about Star Wars, and I've talked to some other people about this too. People in like this era of Star Wars are going like, oh, yeah, the Jedi. I've heard tell of them. Weren't they around like 20 years ago? They're not like ancient history. It's always kind of a weird... I understand that there's sort of like a... um, a, a, Oh, you know, a history rewriting campaign by the Empire, certainly. But it doesn't feel like there's enough time for it to be like ancient history to people. So as much as it is reviled, there was an arc in the last season of The Clone Wars that sort of touched on this a little bit. Um, when it comes to these, like, two uh, street-level sisters that Ahsoka Tano is running around with for a few episodes. Right, right. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yes. I, I was one of the people who reviled it. Yeah, but, yes. it's, it's the weakest but, part of the last season, easily. Yeah. But it's also addresses the fact that, like, the run-of-the-mill people of the galaxy who maybe never interacted with a Jedi and only ever heard about them in the abstract, once it was... It, it, The way I akin it to is if you heard tomorrow that the, uh, I don't know, the uh, fish and game uh, industry or or the the um, the FDA suddenly turned on the president and all of the uh, FBI and CIA had to kill everyone in the FDA, you'd go like, okay, that seems weird, but uh, whatever. Moving on, I guess. Sure, sure. No, I, I I get it. It's just it's always the it's just the reference of like long ago there were it, and it's something that kind of ebbs and flows throughout it. But at this point, once again, with so little established, it feels like it's been fifty plus years since there have been Jedi. And I think this book actually does establish a much longer timeline than we're used to seeing because this guy talks about how oh, his father. Uh, well, was a talking about the old Republic and B talks about like, oh, his father knew about Jedi. And in the next issue, we'll get a little bit deeper into that. And it's implied that this guy's been here since his birth. And this guy, I mean, he's clearly got some city miles on him, but I'm guessing at least like forties. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to see Vincent D'Onofrio play this character. (laughs) Come on, man. Journey to doom world. Have the guts, Disney. Let's do it. billion um, dollars guaranteed right there now uh but yes on this page we also established that there is a character named the master machine smith he'll become important later kind of yeah he is it he is the guy who's basically uh scrapping up all the metal in this place and putting it to good use he is indeed let's go to the next panel as they do something i'm going to continually be annoyed by apparently in the structures of these <laughs> comics where luke is talking about gee i wish i was more like han solo hey now that i say that name I wonder what Han Solo's doing right now. I'm I'm imagining a ripple fade into the uh <laughs> into this <laughs> last panel. Very much has that and and the last issue had the same thing with Han thinking about Luke going, "Oh, that Luke Skywalker. Wonder what he's up to." Cuz lest we forget, Han Solo is a, in the middle of a jam right now, though it is a jam that is about to collide with what Luke's gotten himself into. I'm, I'll say the thing that made me happiest is just the idea of bringing char- the characters back together, for the love of God. Yeah, God because, forbid. Yeah, I know, right? It is. Just, you come out of Star Wars going, I want to see all my friends again. Oh, they're all, all okay. I mean, I guess Empire will do that, but... Uh, whatever. I guess that shut me up. Uh, <laughs> well, it's anyway. interesting in the current Star Wars comics, we're actually about to make the jump to the gap between Empire and Jedi because the Marvel comics, as we're doing right now, have been kind of using the gaps between the movies to tell all their stories. Yeah. Um, and the interesting part of, of course, about the gap between Empire and Jedi is no Han Solo. He's trapping Carbonite the whole time. I've been reading some of those, and it's it's interesting stuff. I like what they're doing with Lando and having. 
because you sort of have to go from Lando betrayed everyone to Lando being everybody's best friend in Jedi. And they're really playing with like, hey, we don't trust you, man. It's kind of your fault that yeah. our friend is in Carbonite. So mm-hmm. I, I've really been digging the, I think it's Charles Soule who's been writing those. I'm, I'm way into that. But that's and- that's years and years down the line for us before things get really good. <laughs> yeah. But yes, lest we forget, Han Solo, as of right now, is aboard this stolen battle cruiser that is being oh. controlled by the one and only Crimson Jack. In his company <laughs> of lounging chairs, folks. God. Okay. So we'll find out uh, here in this page and the next one that this ship was stolen by Crimson Jack. Yes. Um, and it's that's a pretty cool idea. But you know these lounge chairs didn't come standard. He installed these. A hundred percent. This is custom. <laughs> this is custom. I got a guy. I got a guy. He's got an upholstery guy. Uh, <laughs> no, you've never seen anything that looks comfortable on any Imperial ship. <laughs> no, exactly. Everyone's standing or sitting in those little trenches on the bridge, like fearing that they're going to get choked out by Darth Vader. Absolutely. So we've got Han, uh, and the whole thing here, of course, for those who remember, uh, or those who don't remember, I should say, is Han and Leia have told Crimson Jack that there's a treasure that is stored on the lone planet in the Sun Star System, Drexel. Uh, Asterix. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we've got Han, oh boy, this panel, the second panel on this page where Han has got one eye closed, he's like, let me just... uh, calculate this here yeah what we don't know about han solo is is like a degree in advanced mathematics so he can calculate the jump to hyperspace it is true but also ladies and gentlemen for this one panel the part of han solo is played by the legendary peter falk uh one of the i will say i am very sad he did not live long enough to be in any of these franchises peter falk and marvel or star wars would really <sighs> be something it just uh, okay okay i know this is gonna com- completely derail this episode. well it's my own fault i brought up peter falk uh pete who is peter falk in your marvel mcu well i mean because okay. my first instinct is howard the duck oh, oh god yeah <laughs> in a world i never made uh, <laughs> just, hold on here let me get another my ah, whack yeah <laughs> That's pretty great. That's not going to derail us because I can't do better than that. I was going to say there's there's a world where he's on Uncle Ben in some version of Spider Man. Mm-hmm. He's got that, but that's a little Howard the Duck is pretty. Him just doing the voice of Howard the Duck is just that's that's now how I'm going to read Howard the Duck from now on. <laughs> All going, yeah. And even though it's not a Howard the Duck thing, you give him a glass eye in one mm-hmm. of them. Just you got to get a little Falcon, Falcon the mocap suit doing the thing. Going, yeah, it's right. I'm playing the duck in this one. <laughs> Uh, and uh, do you keep a little, little raincoat on me? Just kind of go, oh, yeah, see. I, I know what I'm doing with my afternoon, and that's uh, rereading Howard the Duck with the voice of uh, Peter Falk in my head. I think that's what we should all be doing with our <laughs> uh, so Yeah, Han is calculating this in. I, I mean, I do kind of, li- I, I do I do like Han sort of like going like, oh, let's see, I think it's at a four seven two you know like it's sort of him killing time going if i just calculate it in here let me really zero this in because the whole storyline here is han buying time with crimson jack right yeah yeah absolutely and we do get a quick mention of job of the hut here again with only one t um but yes haven't figured that out yet and then we got han- oh my god han is just laying back into this lounger man oh my han god yeah, oh, that's the stuff here. And then, uh, yeah, Crimson Jack is like, hey, buddy, don't forget, you got to give me that money. And so I was like, yeah, Crimson Jack, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> hey, sweet ship you got here. How'd you get your hands on that? Come to think of it. That's the flashback, too. I I like this idea. Once again, Crimson Jack is so silly. Uh, I do like the idea of commandeering an Imperial Star Destroyer, though. Yeah, is... I mean, again, in like some later, better Star Wars books, I think it'll be done to great effect. Uh, and actually, uh, Infantino's uh, art and, and, and the inking as well on all the stuff with the Star Destroyer, the Star Destroyer is looking really cool in this flashback. Hell, the one Stormtrooper we get in this one little panel at the bottom of this page looks great. Yeah. 
which is something they have not nailed, uh, as as if you've you. heard our episodes talking about. And same thing with the ships, although there's going to be some weird stuff with the ships later. But yeah, they basically what happens is they came upon the star destroyer that was mostly that was like badly damaged from a battle and under crewed. So that's how they were able to take over, take it over so easily. Now. They do say that uh, they found this shortly after the Rebel Alliance won their first big victory over the Imperial forces. Now, I think the comic book is implying that this is a survivor from the battle with the Death Star, at which like no Star Destroyers were actually present. That so right? It's, no, it's 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 got to be the one from the end of Rogue One, right? I was going to say this pl- thing is coming off of Scarif, and that is where my head cannons at. Well, I mean, especially with the 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 we know. I mean, based on the um, the opening crawl of New Hope, right? That was the first battle that the rebels won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, but I do think that they're sort of merging that at this time. But yes, we have a longer sense of the canon now. Absolutely, um, that's absolutely what I was imagining as well. Because yes, there were no star destroyers. Maybe it would have helped that battle had there been. Uh, yeah, the rebels wouldn't have stood a chance. Yeah, so, yeah <laughs> I mean. That's always sort of the thing, right? Is the Empire is never ready for the scrappy rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've got the Death Star. Why would we need a Star Destroyer? Right, exactly. Like, maybe bring in some... All right. Well, uh, which is why the rebels sort of get trounced in Jedi, right? When all the Star Destroyers show up. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's it's, it's... So uh, he tells the story, and Han's like, uh, yeah, man, that's classic Crimson Jack, buddy. There's lots of talking in this. Uh, well, because, again, like... It really, I like all the Han dialogue here because it really does read like he's just trying to buy time by like making Crimson Jack talk and occasionally what? Crimson Jack being like, you're just trying to get me to talk to buy time. And Han's like, no, no, it's fine. Goodwin has a much better hand on the characters in general. And I think particularly on Han Solo than mm-hmm. Roy Thomas did in terms of this sort of, you know, I, I think. People think of Han Solo as this badass, which he is, but what he really is, is this guy. He's a con man, right? He's the guy going, everybody be cool, all right? Let's just uh, think this over. He's a guy who talks his way out of situations. I think I said this last week too. Like it's it, people think of him as the as the quick draw guy, but that's a last resort for Han Solo. He doesn't want to shoot his way out of situations. He yeah. can, if he has to, but yeah, this is the this is much closer to the Han Solo I love. Um, uh, although we're once again dropping Starhopper left and right. Well, Starhopper and Star Warrior are terms I don't think we're going to shake for a while, even if they don't really track. I just love the idea of that. They're really trying to make things happen. Uh, and then we get our favorite character, our, our favorite uh, uh, French resistance leader, Jolie. Uh, <laughs> As, yeah, who, they're interrupted in the reminiscing by a uh, <coughs> a crew member whose attire I can only call, like... Uh, Pirate BDSM. Uh. Yeah, he's he's on his way to a rave in this mess shirt, man. But he's got like the 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 red cap with some like uh, pouch laden buckles and these wrist bracer mm-hmm. things. Like he's got a lot going on. <laughs> he really does. And has uh has Jolie killed someone here, or is this uh, guy just kills? He's just he's just real sleepy, John. He's all tuckered out. He's going to a farm upstate. She's just opening up on this ship, man. Well, to be fair, so I do want to talk about this. We are seeing oh, the aftermath fair. of what was probably a sexual assault. I, I, on some level, yes. I, yeah. uh, somewhere on the spectrum of that, for sure. At the very least, these crew members got a little handsy and Jolie isn't taking any of it, which I am all about that. She should probably kill these people. Because apparently she just, like, mentioned kissing. Uh, I think she was mumbling about... The situation that occurred last issue in which uh, Leia said, well, that Han Solo guy is a good kisser just to get a rise out of Jolie. Right. Because she it's seems really, to be dealing really, with some, like, uninitiated feelings for Han Solo. Yeah, this is all weird. This is all really weird stuff. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, how long has she been on this crew? She appears to be the only female on board. Is this the first instance that something like this has happened? Because it seems like with this group of pirates she's traveling around with... This situation would have already cropped up and been a problem ongoing. It seemed, but they act like this is the first time anybody thought, "Hey, wait a minute." Yeah, I don't. I, you would assume that there would be at least like four corpses that she's made over the years that would have deterred this sort of behavior. You're but, acting like this has never happened before when we've sickly harassed you, which yeah. is certainly 
happened. It's it's just it's it's weird. It's it's all weird. I there's something interesting here, maybe, but it's just so weird. And this yeah. character bizarre, and her no. feelings are just uh, they don't quite know what they're doing. I don't think with this. No, they're trying to do like the femme fatale falling for the kind of noir anti-hero, but it's not played well enough. No, and the problem with that is that's already Han and Leia, right? Right, yeah. So it's it's weird here. So anyway, Crimson Jack comes in here on the next page and starts going, What are you doing? Just shooting on the ship, lady! Crimson Jack justifiably saying, Please don't kill my crew. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about it! Uh, but then, yeah. And then... Oh boy, you want to talk about more gender dynamics. Her first move, blame the other lady on board. Everything was fine till that other woman showed up. She's the one who set me thinking about all that blather about 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 you and how well you kiss, you Karelian clown, as she whaps Han Solo right across the face. It's a bad day to be Han's face. He's getting punched and kicked and kneed. I actually do legitimately enjoy the line when he talks about, like, you got away with women, Solo. I actually did think that was legitimately funny. And Han Solo's rejoinder of, I don't know, but I hope I lose it soon, his way with yeah, women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, yeah, you you have a, you, the power you have over women, man. And then we get a, ah, uh, I don't even know who this character is. I think they're telling me it's Chewbacca at the bottom of the page here, but holy crap, is this yeah. awful. It's an escapee from Jim Henson's The Labyrinth. <laughs> it does have that, yeah. Talking to these space pirates here in their weird little hats. And does this guy have like just a is that a is that supposed to be a metallic eye patch? Like a space eye patch? Space eye patch, John. Classic stuff, space eye patches. That goes Whoa. back to uh Walt Walt Simonson's uh Thor and like Odin with his space eye patches. Like Oh, I love that. That Odin <laughs> eye patch rules. If I ever have to have an eye patch. One of two. I either want the Odin eye patch or the crazy uh, 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 General Chang eye patch mm-hmm. from Star Trek Six, where it looks like mm-hmm. it's nailed into your head. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, uh, but so, yeah, Chewie was doing something with the crew. It actually never comes back up. They wanted a computer tap in the Millennium Falcon, whatever that is. You mentioned the fact that this mentions that he's a hundred years old, which is interesting because. That will be canon later, is that Wookiees are extremely long-lived. Yes. And the fact that I believe in Solo, we get a mention, in the movie Solo, we get a mention that he's like 200-something. This is what I was looking at. 190 is what Han says in Solo. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, the fact that we're establishing here that uh, Wookiees are extremely long-lived, I don't know exactly when that entered the canon, but here is a... Like we're talking about, they've got to have some kind of Star Wars Bible or something they got from Lucas. So mm-hmm. that's probably something that's in there that they have just tossed in. Because there is weird stuff. Like like we talk about the use, the 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 constant use of the word Sith and stuff like that, even though it's not in the movies. It's got to just come from some sort of document that they have. Right. Uh, and what's wild is like a lot of the broader, uh, like... Uh, expanded universe stuff that will eventually come out uh, is stuff that will be introduced in the West End Games Star Wars role-playing game. Uh, but mm. that won't happen until, like, the late 80s. That makes sense, because that would be a thing that's uh, where you would need a lot of that info and stuff like And, of course, we as we oft talked about the visual encyclopedias and stuff like that. Right. That, uh, you know... That, that, but I'm that, talking that, about, like, uh, the name of the planet Coruscant and stuff like that. Right, right, yeah. I mean, even just Corellian is like casually used, as we talked about, in Star Wars, and mm-hmm. it's used even more here in the fact that Han is described as a Corellian in this a lot, and yeah. uh, it's really interesting. Uh, by the way, when you talk about what Chewbacca's doing, I just see the one line here about he's done with that computer tap Jack wanted. Oh, what the hell does that mean? There was something in a previous issue about Jack wanted to make sure that they got all the information about these star systems from the Falcon. Um, right. That is just a dropped line that refers to that. And apparently Chewie did it for them with a resounding orc. Orc. You know, famous uh, computer expert Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Chewie does know the, the Falcon systems yeah. very well. He would indeed. And Solo gives us a lot more background on the navigation systems of the Falcon, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, yeah, clearly L3 isn't having any of this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we get we're back on the bridge with our comfy chairs. No, no, nobody's in them. We've got 
uh, you know, barrel-chested Crimson Jack talking about like, uh, now we're now we'll see, buddy. Uh, and we get our first instance, and we'll see this a few times of him flying this thing sideways. That really weirds me out. This Star Cruiser just sort of flying on its side. Well, look, the Crimson Jack is definitely voided the warranty on this Star Destroyer. Uh, he, he's not bringing this back for a a repair job at the uh, the dealership. I'll say that. Much. Oh no, no warranty <laughs> long gone. Uh, and this is where they talk about they've scanned the planet, and it's a water world. They could have just as easily said a Doom world here, and that would have made my day. Uh, and so they're like, there couldn't be any treasure done, which is also weird. Like, well, couldn't there be treasure in the wh- whatever? For space uh, pirates, they're remarkably ill-advised on where treasure can be found. Exactly. Well, their <laughs> big plan is to just follow people around until they get money. I mean, like, the, they talk about that, and then after they steal that money, let them go out and get more money and then rob the same people. That's Crimson Jack's MO. Yeah, so what we're saying here is Crimson Jack, maybe not the best space pirate. No, he's he's really <laughs> lucky that Han Solo is uh, is kind of, uh, you know, unlucky in situations, right? Or a little foolhardy. So that really works out for him. Because as far as we know, he's only victimizing Han Solo. <laughs> well, and, and the Empire. Yeah, that's right. He lucked into that Empire thing. But then it seemed like immediately he's like, let's turn this sucker around and see what Han Solo's up to. <laughs> We can always rob that guy. Uh, so they all pull guns on uh, him, and he's like uh, on Han Solo, and Han Solo's like, "Let's get Princess Leia up here, and uh, hope we can figure it out from there." Yeah, this is classic. Han is improving his way onto not dying. To be continued. Yeah, uh, and the next, next issue with Day of the Dragon Lords. Ooh, coming next month. Yeah. <laughs> Or next week, are you uh, lucky, lucky, lucky man. Uh, But yeah, that was issue number 12. We are still on Doom World. Now we've got to deal with some dragon lords. All of our characters might actually be in the same room at the same time. Who knows? Gasp. But yeah, uh, we'll have to find out next week on the show what happens to all of our favorite star hoppers (laughs) and star warriors. I mean, Uh, right, right in below. Are you more of a star hopper? Or a Star Warrior. It's that classic dichotomy, and you, you got to choose a side. You can't be you just really a do. star. That's Dazzler. <laughs> Dazzler has cornered the market on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, yes, we want to thank you for listening and or watching. If you're doing both, awesome. I don't know why, but thank you. Yeah, because if you are just listening to the podcast, of course, you can also find the YouTube version of this show in which you can uh, look at the comics that we're commenting on in real time. Well, in real time, as far as you watching it on YouTube. As we just said, we we just put out the first episode of the recording of this. So uh, that's how far ahead we are, um, because these comics are a little old. Uh, but of course, if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you like, subscribe, and ring that bell for notifications. It really does help us in the long term in terms of spreading the word about this show and getting us on the almighty algorithm. Hail the algorithm. <laughs> uh, and of course, the best way to support the show is to go to our patron page. That's patron.podbean.com slash punch up, where you can get cool, exclusive bonus content uh, from all of the shows on the Punch Up Entertainment Network. Absolutely. That includes material components, the action shelf, Campbell and Jones Meet the Monsters, as well as all of that uh, sweet, sweet bonus content from shows of yesteryear, like Panel on Panels, uh, the back catalog of Panel Up, and the Green Mile, in which John and I go back through all of the episodes of the 1970s Incredible Hulk TV show. Indeed, indeed. We if seem you to love- be trapped in this decade, John. I, uh, I mean, I do kind of love the 70s, so... <laughs> uh, but yes, that that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode of May the Panel Be With You. Indeed, and as always, may the panel be with you. Thank <laughs> you.